miss my drops and I have to wait through one more set of bars, four, four time. Welcome back to Canucks Talk on Sportsnet 650. <laughs> oh man, I'm Thomas Drance flying solo today. You're listening to Canucks Talk. Canucks Talk is brought to you by JanPro, the leader in commercial cleaning. Keep your works workplace safe during this flu season by trusting JanPro's EnviroShield disinfection services. Interested? Visit janpro.ca. Also, this hour is brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at dleamc.com. And a big thank you to all of our sponsors. We're going to be joined by my athletic colleague, Sean Gentili, right now. Sean, how are you? I was told that I would be speaking to you and Jamie. Yeah. I'm, dis- I'm disappointed to hear that I know, I'm sorry. things have unfolded the way that they have. I know. It's uh, a, a tough break for you and a tough break for me as well, frankly. It's amazing how much harder it is to do a one-man show, Sean. Like, I'm tired already. I'm getting like... Dom Dom told me on on the on the phone that Jamie was sick, and I immediately got like secondhand flop sweat <laughs> on behalf on your behalf. Like I, like I I think I think I would just sit there like pitting out for for a couple hours. So yeah, good luck, man. <laughs> yeah, like Albert Brooks in the uh, in the news movie, right? <laughs> just like <laughs> completely dusting my opportunity here. Um, that's you. <laughs> that's me. Well, hey. If I'm replaced mid-show, I hope someone replaces me early enough to salvage the program, something the Ottawa Senators did not do with DJ Smith. And, by the way, I want you to know, I did not pull my hamstring stretching for that segue. What are your thoughts on the coaching change in Ottawa? Yeah, if, if you see Jacques Martin hired as a... Uh, as as a show <laughs> consultant, like you can you can assume that the act is going to fall by the by the, a couple segments later. Yeah, I don't. I mean, who could be surprised by this? It, I think the bigger surprise is that it took this long. I right. mean, we've just had the same conversation about DJ Smith. I mean, it, who by all accounts is a good dude in the sense clearly liked playing for him, like all, all that. You know, credit to him, I suppose. But like, we've had the same conversation about this guy for years running now and and they've in their the playoff streak is the playoff you know futility streak is still going and yada 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 nothing's changed so yeah i mean i think when when we saw martin get hired you you assumed that with the first four game losing streak or whatever that something like this would happen i just think that the fact is it it did happen a little quicker than anybody anticipated but yeah it's you know i Nobody should be surprised by this. It's a long time coming. Yeah. It it just feels like they actually waited too long, right? Like, Mm -hmm. in some ways, it feels like it's too late to salvage their season. Uh, We've been through this so often in Vancouver, like almost every year until this year, where, you know, you you get the early December, mid-December coaching change. And, you know, Bruce Boudreaux showed us, like, you can play at a 106-point pace down the stretch if, if you've shot yourself in the foot as like thoroughly mm-hmm. like with a gatling gun like the Ottawa Senators have in the first 8 weeks there's just no coming back from it in the in the contemporary NHL I mean it's a similar vibe to what you guys witnessed with with Bruce too right where he's in the last year of his contract like 
like he, he he wasn't coming back. DJ Smith wasn't coming back. So it yeah. turned into a situation where it's like, what are we doing here? Like, what are we actually trying trying to accomplish? Like, what realistically could have happened? Whether you're talking about last year with the Canucks or or, the, or this year with the Sens, like, what realistically could have happened down the stretch to 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 change? You know the the kind of material facts of the situation, right? So there there's some shared DNA there for sure, and you know if, if you keep if if you keep the guy around and just long enough to lose four games, when you're talking about an Eastern Conference and an Atlantic Division where you know, this whole mess of teams like basically in in the same in the same sort of mushy middle in mm. in, in that conference, you know that's enough to that's enough to make a real difference. Get 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 however however few points they they have over the last stretch, man. That's that's crucial. It's a, it's a, and yeah, it does. It feels like, you know, if this would have been made a, a week, a week or two ago or two weeks ago or whatever, you know, the timing would have been a little, a little bit, a little bit more positive for them, but here we are. If I was covering the senators. Okay. Mm-hmm. This is what I'd be pointing out in advance. Right. First of all, I'm, I'm a Martin fan. Like I, I and I'm at, you mm-hmm. know what, let's start there. I want to ask you that. And then I'm going to get to my spiel because Martin was one of the luminaries Right, I guess these Rutherford coaching staffs tend to be like nine. Mm-hmm. N- they roll nine deep, right? Um, Martin was often around the Pittsburgh Penguins, so you, you were around a team that he was embedded with as an advisor, mm-hmm. but perhaps not an advisor who was a real threat to take over. Um, what are your thoughts? Because I've always been an admirer of how his teams played. For sure, I think he was crucial with on, on the two cup teams here. You know, five six years ago, and he he did bounce back and forth. There were times where he was on the bench, but for the most part, his job. This is a a phrase that you heard over and over and over again, and and you heard it when the Sens hired him. His job was to sit up in the booth and be the eye in the sky, right, mm-hmm. and, and kind of maybe observe observe. Uh, you know, the 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 full you know the full the full set of systems. Be be able to look look at stuff from from that angle and kind of incorporate it into whatever he was bringing to the table. But yeah, it's a, it's a definitely a different situation when Mike Sullivan brings you in to do that, right? You know, I, I, even after all the all the cachet he had, and uh, and and when you're hired kind of under or over overhead of DJ Smith, it's it's a little <laughs> bit of a different situation. But yeah, man, I mean the, the guy's won it won a gazillion games. Uh, he's he's got a lot a lot of gravitas. He's got. You know, I, I, he brings brings a lot to the table, and I think you know from, from a system standpoint. I mean, I think he's probably uh i know you know I've, everyone loves to point out uh the defensive side of the game with his teams over, over the years but i i don't know man i i think i think there's i i think that plays a little bit better these days than maybe people maybe people think so makes sense you know i i think it's a move that probably that certainly needed to happen whether it was him or someone else because you know when you have that contract situation with dj smith and you, and you have those losses start to pile up it's Again, I, I, mean, I know I'm repeating myself, but it turns into like, what are we, what are we doing here? Kind, kind of situation. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, my spiel. Okay, this is what I'd be saying about Martin coming yes. in if I was covering the Ottawa Senators. I'd be pointing out that to this point, the Ottawa Senators have been like high end in terms of their underlying mm-hmm. profile, right? But have been shot in the foot by goaltending, which even if their goaltending's bad, can't continue to be this bad, most likely, over the balance of the campaign. I'd also be pointing out that the Senators have faced the hardest strength of schedule in the Eastern Conference to this point in the campaign, and that over the balance of the campaign, they have the third easiest, right? Mm 
Mm-hmm. You combine the fact that there's regression about to hit regardless of whether or not they changed coaches with how much easier the sledding gets from now to the end of the season. And I'd really be cautioning the market. Like my, my big thing would be, Hey, we're going to see a new coach bump here and we're going to see this team pick up points at a rate, unlike what they have so far, but we can't read too much into it in terms of what the future of this coaching staff necessarily looks like, right? Like that would be my, my spiel. What, what are your thoughts? I mean, I, I agree with you totally. I think that the goalie point is such an important thing to remember, not just with coaching changes either, but with, you know, Jack Adams candidacies and awards ballots and all that, and all that stuff. I mean, a coach is only as good as his goaltender in a, <laughs> in a lot of ways. And we yep. saw that, look, I, and this is not the, not the, throw dirt on Chris Knobloch because he's done a great job with, with, with Edmonton, but, or, or for that matter, John Hines in Minnesota, like those guys credit, credit to, they, they came in, they won, they righted the ship. I'm sure there's culture change stuff that needed to happen and different voice and blah, 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 blah. That's a, that, there's a, there's a place for all that. But ultimately this is about Philip Gustafson looking like the version we saw of him last year with Minnesota. And it's about, it's about Stu Skinner and, and, and whoever else kind of getting it together for the Oilers. Like that's, that is, that is, it's, it's, that is one, two and three at the top of the list of the factors, you know, that are, that are in play here too. So that's an important thing to remember. Cause it, at some point, you know, yeah, stuff normalizes. Nope. Nobody escapes from regression, good or bad. And I think the Sens are in for, a whole lot of that and you you know is that now is that could that lead to like some little quasi run here for, for them who knows but the important thing yeah is not to not to overreact all that much because people because people love to you know they they love we see teams win games because their goaltending goes from putrid to half decent and we want to attribute it to something other than that but a lot of times it can't be like it's just it can be that simple and I think the Sens are probably in for for a bit of a dose of that for sure. Let's turn the conversation to the Canucks because this team has – they listed at like 500 for about a month and and regression mm-hmm. kind of hit but never really, right? Like I think they were like still 99 over that stretch. And now they've gotten hot again. Percentages mm-hmm. are back in their favor. Um, they have the highest PDO we've ever seen after 32 games. Um, but <laughs> but there's a, there's a core of steel here. Like I don't think this is – you know, a, a, a Mike Yo's Minnesota Wild team or a, you know, one of those like true paper tigers that, that we can confidently predict to slip over the balance. Uh, where are you at? What What is this team after 32 games in your view? I love them. They're so much fun. I watch them like I watch them whenever I can. Me and me and Don Lestition do, do the power rankings. I feel like you and I end up talking about that all, all the time. And like, I, 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 I vote at least a little bit more so based on vibes. <laughs> so I'm, more, I'm, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like the Canucks guy out of, out of the two of us. I, right. They're, they're fun. And, and part of the reason they're fun is because they, you know, you said it when we thought that maybe, you know, the, the, the PDO normalization was, was going to take place. They, <laughs> they spit in its face and got hot again. Like I, I hope it keeps happening. It's fun. Yeah, like, it this is. is like this is the point of all of all this, right? And like, yeah, you know, you mentioned you mentioned the Mike Yo Wild. That's a great that's a great example. But like, sometimes you're you know, 
the Craig Berube blues and you just, you just stay hot and you, and you out, you out PDO your way and, and outrun <laughs> it until, you, until you win a cup. Like who cares? It counts. Let's roll. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I know that uh, there's like a brand of sports texter into our inbox, for example, that's like, let's just enjoy this. And like, for me, mm-hmm. I can't enjoy a trapeze artist defying gravity with mm-hmm. a death defying stunt without understanding that they're defying gravity. You know, like the fun of it re- mm-hmm. requires the context, the um, the perspective, right? Of like, well, they're doing it totally. between two tall buildings. Like, I, but but this is what they're doing. They're they're defying gravity in a way we've never seen. It it is fun. That's like that's the needle that I think we have to thread in a lot of ways when we mm. talk about teams like the Canucks, right? Where you can't sneer at them. You can't discount it. You can't just presuppose that the regression's inevitably going to come for them or, or, or whatever way you want to put it. Because sometimes it doesn't. And that's, and that's the fun. That's, that's why we're watching to, is, is to see if they can keep this up. And it's way easier to believe in a team like them or, or, or a team that is, you know, maybe outkicking its coverage in, in the first little chunk of the season when you have elite talent at the top of the lineup. Like, right. that's different. This isn't, you know, this isn't uh, the Glenn Gallitz in flames or, or, or whatever when they were just riding <laughs> sure. awesome goalie play, and, and that's that. Like, things are different for the Canucks because of the dudes who are at the top of that lineup, and I think that's part of what makes them, you know, so compelling. I'm not kidding. Like, those guys are, for, for a lot of different reasons, they're like – I try to make them maybe not a nightly watch, but something close to it because they're fun. Like, that's what it's about. Yeah, I mean, we're at a point where, like, if the US, if the U, Team USA was playing a best-on-best best tournament in the next six months, right, the, mm-hmm. the the power play should literally be built around JT Miller. Like, we're at that point. Totally. That's yeah, wild. Absolutely. That's it, right? And, and it's, it's it's crazy to think, but uh, but it's true, dude. Absolutely. And, it's, and we're seeing this. You know, it's, that's why it's why they play the games. That's why we watch the games. <laughs> it's stuff like this unfold. I love it. I know. Like, yeah, if you're if you're USA hockey, and granted, mm-hmm. USA hockey makes a lot of mistakes, especially when when <laughs> yes, especially yes, when yes, evaluating <laughs> offensive defensemen. It's like a it's like uh-huh. a it's like a national weakness, right? Um, mm-hmm. Just like arrogance is a national weak- weakness of our hockey federation, among among other sins. But the like. If you're if you're the team USA coach, it's about how do you like how do you fit three guys in with Hughes and Miller up top? That's wild that totally we're agree. at that point. Yeah, I mean, is it like are, are I'm not I'm not that surprised by it. Maybe maybe with maybe the JT's as involved as he is well, I, in a plan like that. But just I don't the, know. Just this, the, just is, the... this is what did, like this is if you would have said three years ago, like what do you think Quinn Hughes can turn into? I'd be like. Uh, legit Norris candidate who's like maybe the maybe the best power play weapon in the league. But like he's I, been better I would than have, that. I would have said that. Like I would have agreed with you, That's and true. then I'd still have been surprised because he's hit a level <laughs> higher than that this season. You know, like and and I, I, the Miller thing. I, if you told me that what I just said that I would say the mm-hmm. Team USA should build, I would have been like over Jack Eichel and Austin Matthews. Which, by the way, isn't an insult to JT Miller. It's just like I would have thought. There were other guys who you'd build the power play around, and and now I don't think there are. Like I just think this guy's, this guy's outside of Nikita Kucherov and Connor McDavid. I don't think there's anyone you'd rather have sort of being a signal caller five on four. It's it's crazy. 
I, I'm, I'm with you, man, especially after – because I think that's a big part of the season Miller had last year too. I mean, all, all the defensive stuff, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say that it was overblown, but that, that got the – Oh, got, I, I, I don't think it was right? overblown. And I, I actually no, no, think no. it's it, still it, happening. It, it, I, I don't mean that it's over I, – I, it's not overblown, it just, but, it, but it got a ton of attention too. Right, yeah. Like his – failures with that part of his game was mm. a huge part of the narrative last year. Right. Where, and I'm, I, do I think that like overshadowed anything? Like, no, cause he, he was that bad, especially, especially, at, you know, maybe not through 82 games, but at points, man, it, it was, it was painful to watch, honestly. So I think that, you know, again, I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying to choose my words co- correctly here. Like it didn't, it didn't overshadow anything, but that was a narrative last year was, was that this guy is broken away from the puck and I think mixed up in there I, I think people lost sight of the fact that when when he's on he's a weapon big time mm. in a very very serious way and then and then he's leveled up from that too whether it's you know the chemistry chemistry with Quinn or or, or whatever else like like he had this in him to, to to some extent but to see that it's to see the degree to which he's tapped into it I think over the last couple months is wild yeah the so the thing that I'm curious about because you know when we talk about the Canucks we talk about how fun they are right I think that's the first Mm -hmm. thing that most people think but like I don't know if you watched their para games this weekend they were not fun (laughs) they were they were the Canucks had 15 fun minutes in the second period against the Chicago Blackhawks and otherwise it was dreck from an entertainment value perspective just straight up yep here's my concern like this team might be first in the NHL in total goal scored and third at the rate at which they're scoring goals five on five, but they're also shooting the highest clip in the league. They're they're shooting eleven and a half percent when no team's been over eleven percent in five on five over the course of a full season in ten years. And they're twenty seventh in shot attempts, right? Thirtieth yep. thirtieth in the rate at which they're generating actual shots on goal and twenty third in the um, scoring chance stat tracked by natural stat trick, which I don't love, but like I, I want mm-hmm. to include because it at least suggests that the Canucks, despite you know twenty seventh and thirtieth by shots and shot attempts, might be manufacturing slightly more quality than those numbers mm-hmm. suggest. My concern is that if the percentages normalize, what we're going to see is a team that is not fun, that's like too reliant on the power play and is otherwise a little bit stodgy aesthetically. Um, Am I off my rocker here? I don't think so because we sort of saw them play that way for a couple of weeks, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you watch them uh, ten times more closely than I do, but like when they were going along and they're going, they, they're winning, you know, five of eleven or whatever, and, and stuff starting to crash a little bit. Like you could, you could see that. You're like, all right, like, like Elias Pettersson, like maybe like put together a couple decent productive five on five games like <laughs> see see what happens right but i but now they're back like i don't like i it's sometimes it can be that it can be that simple right like they were they they were losing games and they were and they were looking crummy and they were looking like a sub mediocre five on five team and now all of a sudden the goals are starting to fall again man like i i think i think we know that they have that in them like mm. they they have that tough to watch you know, lack of production in them, but, but, you know, they can also, they can also move back and forth. Like, the, like so many people 
two weeks ago were like, all right, this is it. Like they're going to, this is, this is the sugar crash. And the fact that they reversed course again is a testament. I think to talk it, it's a testament to the guys on that roster. And like, it makes me wonder if we're going to see like a protracted stretch of being like, yeah, boy, the Canucks are a tough watch right now. I'm like, we'll see that at some point, but like, I'm more and more confident that it's not something we're going to be saying for like a month at a time because they righted the ship once already. Yeah. See, I think we see it and I think it just won't Mm -hmm. matter that much because they're goaltending power play stars. Like they have enough outs. Like I think it's going to happen and I still think they're going to just keep winning games. Like, the fact is, is that 500 for a month is not bad when you've spotted yourself no. this big a lead, right? Like you, you, if the Oilers had been 500 for the first month in the season, they'd be challenging for first in the Pacific right now. You know, like it's the we're, it's the dead stretches that kill you. We're at that point in the season now too, where we're 30 games in, 35 games in, where yeah. you know, you ne- you never apologize for banking points no. ever, but now like if you've won games overall at the clip that they have through 35 games, like <laughs> they are like the, the team is what it is at, at this point. Right. Like, and, and you can, and you can afford, yeah, a little bit of a lull, you know, where, where you win five of 11 or, or, or oh, whatever yeah. it was, no problem. You, you know, you, you build up, you build up that cachet where you don't have to worry about it all that much. And you just attribute it to the ups and downs of a long hockey season. Because you've given yourself the cushion, you've earned yourself the cushion that that they have. You know, you say whatever, and and you and you wait for things to normalize a little bit. That's what that's what good teams do, right? That's, yep. and, and that's what happens when you watch good teams and you analyze good teams. Is you're like, all right, ten game stretch, not very good. Let's see what happens when they come out of it, because they always do. And I think the Canucks, like all of a sudden, are kind of like in that class. It's wild. Sean, thank you for helping me out. I desperately appreciate it. Good luck luck to your Steelers. Actually, no, I hate them. That was such a bad watch against the Colts, but at least they also disgraced themselves with multiple dirty heads. Uh-uh. <laughs> don't put don't put them on me. Don't put any of this on me. That team is, that team is garbage. Yeah. They stink. I, Nobody I, watch them. I hate them so much. <laughs> Not as much as me, though. Oh, I bet. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining the show. Happy holidays, my friend. We'll chat with you soon. Same to you, bud. Happy holidays to you. Happy holidays to, to everybody else out there. Yep. Yep. All right. That was Sean Gentili. We'll be back on the other side with Batch. I'm going to throw a weird game at him. You ready for this? I'm going to throw a game at him called Who's Responsible? That's that's the name of the game. Stay tuned on the other side for Who's Responsible with Brendan Batchelor and me, Thomas Trance. You're listening to Canucks Talk on Sportsnet 650. Big opinions and good bets. It's the People Show with Bick Nazar. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Canucks Talk. We are hitting the downbeat every time today as I'm flying solo without Jamie Dodd on IR. Short term, though, not long term. We'll have him back shortly. And, of course, later this week, we're going to move Canucks Talk to the morning show. It's still going to be the Halford and Bruff show, but it's going to be me and Jamie Thursday and Friday, uh, 6 to 9. I'll be waking up early right in advance of the Christmas holiday 
because, well, I'm, I'm being drafted in to help the bigwigs get more time off. <laughs> By the way, I do my Thursday hit on Halford and Bruff every Thursday, and now I'm going to be hosting the show. So we'll figure out how we're going to do that, right? Like, I'm still going to do my hit as the host somehow. We're, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. Anyway, Canucks Talk brought to you, of course, by Dunbar Lumber. Dunbar Lumber sponsors the 650-650 inbox. Please text in, throw me a lifeline. I won't have a guest in the in the thir- uh, last segment um, at the top of the hour, so I'm going to need your help. Maybe we'll do an open segment, so just text in whatever you want to hear me talk about uh, or whatever you want to talk about with me, and I'll, I'll get into some of those texts in the final segment. Um, 650-650, that's the Dunbar Lumber inbox. Dunbar Lumber, of course, has three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street. Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or in Arbutus in Vancouver. You can visit them online at DunbarLumber.com. And of course, I am coming to you live where I will shortly be interviewing Brendan Batchelor from the Kintech Studio. Kintech, my goodness, let me try that again. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, is supported by over 2,500 five star Google reviews. That's a lot of five star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Now, a perfect fit for our third segment. It's Brendan Batchelor. Batch, my friend, how are you? I'm well. How are you? I'm, um, I, I mean, I'm okay. Um, <laughs> no, I'm doing well. It's always a good day when I get to talk to you, and I've got a very strange game to throw at you today. I love it. Let's go. All right, I tease this at the top of the hour. So one thing I think about a lot when breaking down and trying to analyze hockey uh, as best and, and as accurately as I can is – you know, the, the thing that's most difficult in a free-flowing game like hockey is to ferret out responsibility, right? So, like, who's driving that line? Who's driving those good results? Who's responsible for those bad results? And I feel like at the genesis of every sporting argument, every Canucks argument in particular, you know, it's like that player is the GOAT, right? Like, that Tyler Myers giveaway is why they lost. That goaltender is killing us. Or, you know, that star player is the reason why, you know, we're we're glad we don't have draft picks or whatever. I think that's the hardest thing to do. So I want to play a game called Who's Responsible? Okay? And here's how we're going to play it. I'm going to throw a thing that's happening to the Canucks at you, and I'm going to ask you to make an argument for who's responsible, and then I'm going to fisk your argument and or not. You're going to tell me why I was wrong. Or no, I'm just going to argue back. Because <laughs> at the root of every sports argument is this game. That's, my, that's the concept anyway. What do you think? Okay. You in? I like it. Let's do it. Of course. All right. Let's start with the dominance of Vancouver's third line. Batch, who's responsible? Uh, does it have to be a player? No. Well, it is a player. It's Connor Garland. <laughs> but... <laughs> But I wanted to think about it for a minute. Mm, yeah, fair. Um, yeah, I think I think Garland is the engine on that line. We see how effective he is um, at either being the first four checker or supporting the four check. He's so good at protecting pucks; it allows them to have extended grinding shifts in the offensive zone. And and we've talked to Rick talking about this, you know, relatively recently, where he has sort of discussed that. Garland, he feels, is playing very well and deserves more points than he has for the impact that he's having. So this isn't to take anything away from Dakota Joshua and Teddy Bluger because I think they've both played very well too. And 
I think Joshua is an incredibly important part of that line and the skill set that he brings is is integral to their success too. But if I have to pick one guy, I'm probably picking Connor Garth. Yeah, and I think that's fair. I think he's the driver, clearly, which takes nothing away from the incredible yeoman's work that Dakota Joshua has brought, not just this season, but but since the club sort of pulled him out of um, St. Louis's AHL system, right? Like the, mm-hmm. taking nothing away from his contributions or Bluger or Suter, both of whom have fared well. It's hard to pick one of the centermen given that this line's had similar results with both of them, right? Like it, it hasn't seemed to matter between Garland and Joshua. You seem to be onto something. And they, they were even onto something down the stretch last year with Niels Amon. So there's no way to pick the center. It has to be one of Garland or Joshua. I think it's apparent who's driving this line. Um, stemming from this, I've got, well, I've got a question to ask you about Connor Garland, okay? Okay. Yeah. Thirteen point five over under Connor Garland goals this season. You betting the over or you betting the under because he only has two at the moment. Oh, I he's got a ridiculously low shooting percentage, doesn't he? Oh yeah. Like it's, it's two point eight, like two point eight percent, and he's a ten yeah. percent career shooter. Ooh. I'm going to say under. Ooh. Spicy. Because I don't know, and again, we'd have to look at shot rate too, which I don't have off the top of my head, but... Two like, a game. Two a game. So, yeah, I'm going to say it'll be close, but no. Right. And the only thing that could change that is if he moves up the lineup or is given increased ice time because he's averaging... 13 minutes a night, somewhere around there right yep. now. He's not a fixture on the power play, really. You know, power play two gets a little bit of time at the end of power plays, but we're seeing power play one play more and more. So unless there are injuries and he gets a chance up the lineup or he somehow ends up on that first power play unit for a stretch, I'm going to say under, but it'll be close. So, yeah, I mean, the the math would say under's probably the base rate, right? Because if he gets two shots a game, roughly, it's slightly higher than that, uh, scores on 10%, his career clip over the balance, that's 12. <laughs> like, you know, the math's – the math, he's going to need some breaks, I think, to get over 13. 12 total or 12 more? 12 total. Okay. Yeah, so I think, that, I think the base rate is in your favor with that bet. All right, let's move on to segment two of – Who's responsible with Brendan Batchelor, the new game show that I invented, you know, basically live at the end of the second segment. Um, (laughs) (laughs) The Canucks power play 15% in the month of December, right? Um, I think it's eight for 47, something like that. Eight for 44 or eight for 47. I, I can't remember the exact number in my head. Who's responsible for the Canucks power play cooling? And as you asked, right, for clarification, it doesn't have to be a player. It can be everything from... You know, uh, Adam Foot to Magic Pixie Dusk to, you know, the alignment of the stars. Like, I don't care. Whatever you think it is, you can make the argument. Um, Elias Pettersson. Mm. And the reason I go this way is because that kind of coincides with his slight dip in form, which, by the way, I think is very overblown. Uh, yep. Because he's still producing points at a, a tremendous rate, just not quite the unbelievable rate that we saw from him at the start of the season. Um, And, you know, the team's still winning games and having success, which ultimately is the most important thing. And, um, and he's had some different line mates, right? Kuzmenko has been off his line. Um, 
and and so that all plays a factor. So I'm not. I think there's a difference between responsibility and blame. So if I have to pick one person that deserves some responsibility for why the power play is trending in the wrong direction, I think it would be Pedersen. But that does not mean that I'm blaming that on him because I think that power plays, and particularly this power play, we've seen it go through trends where it's very hot and then it gets cold. It's not a consistent power play, even though it's a good power play. Um, They go through stretches where they score like three power play goals in a game. Uh, and then they go through stretches where they go over 15 or, or something similar like yeah. that. And that's power and they're, plays. They're, yeah, exactly. So, you know, over the, over the balance, they're going to be an elite power play over the balance. Elias Pedersen is going to be an elite power play producer. None of those things worry me, but if we're looking at this specific trend of late, that's why I'm leaning Pedersen. So I'd be tempted to say regression because their shooting percentage up to December 1st was 22%, five, five on four. It's gone to yeah. 10% since, but I actually think there's a meaningful tactical change. So I'm going to say Rick Tockett. I'm going to say Rick Tockett, and I, I, I'm not going to blame him for it so much as I'm just assigning responsibility here. In about mid-November, after Kuzmenko got hit up high by that shot, was it Philip Ronick's shot? Yeah. Philip Ronick caught, no, Miller. Miller catches yeah. Andre Kuzmenko in the face in that game against the Islanders. Kuzmenko misses a game. When he returned to the lineup... Um, he started to play more on the flank in Miller's usual spot uh, on the power play with Miller at the net front. Miller, of course, will remember right after he shot uh, shot the shot that hit Kuzmenko in the face, uh, then stood in front of like the fastest Philip Peronic shot ever recorded. Like I think it broke the sound <laughs> barrier according to the radar gun at Rogers Arena, as, as I remember correctly. And when you look at Vancouver's power play since, like there's meaningful changes. First of all, it hasn't been nearly as effective, right? Like the, we, we know the December numbers aren't good, but you can even chart it back to like the 17th of November and it's eight power play goals across 15 games with a 15% conversion rate. And you're seeing what I think to is, is just like less efficient shooting almost across the board. Like Besser's shot, shot rate has exploded on the power play. Quinn Hughes has gone from averaging like 13 shots per 60 to something like four over that time span. Um, Pedersen's shot rates up a little bit. JT Miller's shot rates up a little bit. Kuzmenko's is unchanged, even though he's in a shooting spot, which to me is suboptimal. And what you're really seeing disappear, and I find this fascinating, is Miller's secondary assists. Like for all the conversation about Miller's secondary assists, um, they've disappeared from his game on the power play. And I, I think that's a huge negative because I think a lot of the time it's Miller's pass that unlocks like Pedersen to Kuzmenko backdoor or um you know, the the fake wrist shot drop pass to Quinn Hughes at the point, right, that then results in a rebound that then results in a goal. Um, I think they've lost, like, the without the maestro, without Miller effectively conducting things and, and being super disciplined about making sure that the puck's being shot by the most efficient possible shooter on the ice, it feels unfocused with Miller at the net front. And, and I think what Tockett's trying to do is develop Kuzmenko into a shooter like I think he likes the handedness thing and I think that's what that's what I was going to say too is that I think one of the issues with Kuzmenko's game this year Mm. and you know his offensive production is down which we all expected but his shot rate is down too so they want this guy to start shooting the puck to start realizing that he has to shoot the puck a lot more like the last time I looked at these numbers which was last week uh, when they played Tampa Bay 
I was looking at Kuzmenko and his shooting percentage and the fact that he's averaging fewer shots. And I thought, okay, let's look at a guy like Kucherov, who's leading the league in points. And Kuzmenko averages like 1.5 shots per game and Kucherov averages like 4.5 shots per game. And not that you want Kuzmenko or expect Kuzmenko to be Kucherov, but he needs to be closer to that in terms of his willingness to shoot the puck in order to have success. And if he's the down low guy, if he's the net front guy, uh, he's not going to have an opportunity to shoot the puck as much. So I do wonder if this look is maybe like a short-term pain, long-term gain approach from Tockett, where if they can develop Kuzmenko into a more consistent shooter, then he can be that threat similar to how Miller was, but, you know, with the the right-handed shot instead. And that unlocks different looks for them if he can get to that eventually. Yeah, and look, I Tockett's experiment changing the formation up in a top 10 NHL power play and taking over responsibility for running the first unit by himself was like a huge gamble that paid such huge dividends that this is one where like I throw up my hands. And even as I'm thinking critically about it and speaking critically about it, like it's not criticism, right? Like this guy's earned the benefit of the doubt (laughs) from me five on four in, in an awful lot of other aspects too, but especially here where, you know, I say, hey, like there, there may be a logic to this, like a dividend that he's trying to mine down the road that I can't see. But I do think there's been a short term hit as a result of some of this alignment change. And I think it's fair to point that out without necessarily like grinding the guy down or, or being critical of it. Um, all right. Yeah. Um, and and yeah. one quick thought here, too, is is I think we need to start thinking about everything this team does within the context of preparing for what's to come as opposed to trying to win every game in the short term right. because uh, for so many years, it has been about trying to win every game in the short term because you didn't have a good start. You were behind the eight ball. You needed to do that to have success. This cushion affords them opportunity to work on things, to try things, to develop things, to try and be in the best spot possible when the games really matter later in the season. So not, not that they, you know, can't, can't take their foot or that they can take their foot off the gas completely. They still need to win games. They haven't made the playoffs yet. They still need to do that, but they do have some wiggle room to experiment. And it's why also, and I'm going to change the subject here a little bit, why I don't have any time for anybody that didn't like Nikita Zadorov standing up for Pedersen yesterday, because they're using the argument. Yeah. What if the Canucks blow the lead and lose to the Blackhawks? And my response to that is it's December 17th. Who cares if they lose to the Blackhawks? <laughs> if Zadorov standing up for a teammate has a lasting impact on this team's identity going forward as an example. Yeah. I also just like to see Nikita Zadorov go after guys. I'm never going to blame him for it. Um, <laughs> okay. Let's, let's get to topic three. The Canucks penalty kill, a sore spot all season, has now killed off 10 of their last 12, 83.3% over the course of the past week. Hey, it's just a week, but we'll take progress where we see it. It's been so scant for the Canucks four on five over the course of the past three years. Um, Who's responsible and is it real? Pew Suter is responsible, or at least he is symbolic of what was causing the penalty kill to struggle and that is injuries right we hadn't seen a consistent healthy group of all of the guys that they wanted to kill penalties and we still haven't because Carson Susie's still out of the lineup um 
really this year because of injuries, and most notably to Pew Suter, who, of course, missed 14 games. So, um, and, and not that he has been, you know, a, a huge part of the success lately, although obviously he is a, an important part for this team. But I think as they get more healthy, as they get a deeper lineup, whether it be at five on five or, or whatever, you know, situation you're looking at, like, you know, you can see the impact that being able to roll out Suter and Kuzmenko on a fourth line has in terms of the coaching staff's ability to roll four lines and, and trust all those players. I think that applies to the penalty kill as well. Um, now you, you might have a better insight as to maybe some sort of trend that we can look at recently or a way that they're playing um, you know, it, you could also look at, at the, the spot in the schedule and, and some of the teams that they've faced here recently, like Chicago, obviously not a very good power play team. Nope. Um, but at the same time, they did just face Florida, the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Florida Florida Panthers, no, no, but right? Florida's not good on the power play. I don't yeah, know why, but Tampa but they, Bay is. Tampa Bay is the best. Yes. So is it real? I mean, no, because, you know, the, the penalty kill is not going to kill off every penalty the rest of the year the the answer is that they're somewhere in the middle between how bad they were before and how good they've been now and much like we spoke about the power play it goes and ebbs and flows and you know this is a a good stretch for the penalty kill i think that is partially uh because they're healthier now than they were early in the season and they have more options and guys that they can put out in those situations and you know as i think through this i think the acquisition of zadorov probably helps a lot too so he kind of is a co-winner with Pew Suter, if, if we want to argue that. Um, but, you know, a deeper team having more options and actually being able to use those options because they're all in the lineup, I think, should lead to an improved power play, even if it doesn't continue to operate at the rate that we've seen lately. So uh, my answer would be Miller, Hughes, Pedersen, and they're responsible because they're not playing as much. Like, you know, I, I, the biggest change to me, because there is some tactical change. I do think the Canucks moved to a box subtly uh, a few weeks ago. But the biggest change is over the course of the last week, for example, uh, JT Miller, 41 seconds per game. Quinn Hughes, 39 seconds per game. Elias Pettersson, 35 yeah. seconds per game on the penalty kill. And we're seeing just a ton of Bluger, Myers, Suter, Cole, Juleson, Phil Giuseppe, Dakota Joshua, um, so, you know, we, we could change the framing of this. Like, I think the other guy who, like, I think Pew Suter is a really good name because since he came back to the lineup, two and a half minutes a game, he's leading Canucks forwards in shorthanded ice time. Dakota Joshua to me is also instructive. I, I've been saying for a while, I thought that guy had the chops to be a really good PK guy. He has been, he's been great in fact. Um, but, but for me, it's just like, they've made this decision that the penalty kill is going to be. Um, a yeoman spot, it feels like. And and they're going to marginalize their best players who do clearly want to play PK, and they're going to lean on some bigger-bodied guys who, you know, I, I think maybe you're more comfortable with having pay the price um, that you have to pay, frankly, to stop some of the NHL's best power plays. So I, I don't know if I'd say it's Joshua or agree with your suitor thing, but I'd really focus on the usage because that, to me, has been the well. biggest change. And aren't the two of them tied together, too? Because if you have all your depth guys in the lineup that you trust to kill right. penalties, then that's what allows you to back off using your top players well, in those spots. Like I, if, I mean, if I don't Suter's know. not in the lineup, and if Bluger's not in the lineup, 
you have to look to other options and maybe that's where you pivot to your skill player. I just think Oman can do it. You know, like maybe maybe yeah. he can't take the initial draw, but whether Suter's in the lineup or not, like Amon Joshua between Amon Joshua, Bluger, Suter, Di Giuseppe, Mikheyev. You know what I mean? Like, I think you you should be able to get to six, seven names before you come up with Miller or Patterson. You know, and, and I think you can then withstand three injuries before either of them's on, on one of your top two units. And and yeah, by the and way, think, it should be Patterson seven and then Miller eight. Yeah, well, and I, I think that's a good point, too, about Oman, because Oman is almost like getting a player back from injury because mm. he was in the AHL until they called him up and now – you know, he's going to stay here because uh, if I'm not mistaken, he has to go through waivers now because of the number of games he's played. So um, that, that to me is like, like Oman and Zadorov are not injuries, but they're marked differences in terms of the personnel that you could put out on the penalty kill, that add to that depth, add to that ability to have success when down a man. So I'm going to ask you one more. Okay. We might go long. I'm sorry, Dom. Um, but that's okay, because I have to kill the third segment by myself, and the less time I have to do <laughs> that, the better. Godspeed. Hughes and Heronic together, okay, through through the first 16 games. 58.2% of shot attempts, 54.9% of expected goals. Last 16 games played, 50.8% share of shot attempts, 44.4% of expected goals. Batch, the Hughes-Heronic pair is sputtering defensively. Who's responsible? Regression. That's where I'll use this one. Um, mm. Where I, like, they were great early in the season. They played very well. Uh, but did we really expect that they were going to go all season without conceding even strength goals against? Of course not. Um, and, you know, maybe as a, a co-winner, um, the fact that neither of them are the biggest defensemen out there, which doesn't really matter to an extended degree. Like they're both very capable defenders, I think, but it kind of does play into why Rick Tockett has talked so much about size on the blue line and looking at Vegas and how they've had success with big guys that can move. And I think we've seen it in Tockett's deployment where he has trusted Zadorov and Myers on the ice in late game situations, protecting leads rather than, Hughes and Heronic, and in fact, yesterday, I believe, there was a shift late in the game where it was Cole who was out there with Heronic and Hughes was not mm. on the ice. So th- those are the two things I look at that, you know, regression was bound to happen for those guys. And, you know, as the, the team's offensive numbers have come back down to earth, that, that ties into it too because if you've got the puck on your stick in the offensive zone and you're scoring all the time, then guess what you're not doing? You're not defending. This team has had to defend more of late in part because of uh, the overall play of the team in part, because you know, the, the things that were going to happen with their offensive game, were going to regress. And, and that's part of what we've seen as we talked about in relation to the power play earlier. And then, you know, the fact that it's two smaller defensemen, not small defensemen, but smaller defensemen compared to some of the other options you have, um, you know, means that, you know, less effective in terms of, breaking up passing lanes with long reach, less effective at blocking shots because they're not as big. And look, you don't want Quinn Hughes blocking a ton of shots anyway. Um, so, so that's what I'd look at. And, and that's, um, that's what I would go to immediately off the top of my head is regression for those guys. Yeah. The, I don't see the regression just because these guys still have the bounces in their favor. PDO wise. Um, what we're seeing is like atrophying effectiveness 
Um, I just see Heronic losing too many battles down low, and I think if this team continues to marginalize Hughes in the highest leverage portions of the game in favor of Zadorov, Cole, Heronic, I think that's going to bite them eventually. Like I, I think that's an error. I think at the end of the day, you need your best players on the ice when, when the game is on the line, and Hughes is maybe their single best skater. Certainly has been over the course of the season. So um, I, I, this, one, this is one that sort of has me a little bit worried, especially given – you know, the, the counting stats that this group's amassed, uh, Heronic's contract status, his arbitration rights, and the decision the club's going to have to make on him after this season. Wins still at their back, and yet, you know, I sort of look at the performance, and, and it's been a while since I felt like um, since I felt like Heronic was playing at, at a top pair level. Yeah, I think, I think that's fair, and we'll see where things trend in terms of whether they stay together on a pairing or mm. not. Uh, what happens when Susie comes back into the lineup, assuming no more injuries between now and then? I think you know we there's going to be a lot of moving parts on that blue line, and it's yes. you know it, it you know Heronic played so well early in the season that you know we kind of forgot about all those comments at the start of the year about you know defending by committee and and pairing <laughs> right. by committee, but it wouldn't surprise me if we see more of that mm. down the stretch. Interesting stuff, Batch. Thanks for being a good sport. We'll play this one again. I actually like this one. This is uh, this, this is, is a good uh, one. This this one has staying power. Yeah, I, I think I think so too. It's much more focused too, and it and it's far less like convoluted. I could actually explain it in two sentences as opposed to you know my usual paragraph length explainers. So let's uh, let's bookmark this one and come back to it, my friend. Thank you for joining the program today. Thanks. Sounds good. Have a good one. There's Brendan Batchelor, your voice of the Canucks on Sportsnet 650, one of the absolute best people in the business. Certainly one of my favorite people to talk hockey with, both on air and off. We'll be back. Open segment to close the show. You're listening to Canucks Talk on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk. I'm Thomas Drance, flying solo for one more segment. Thank you to everyone who's texted in. Great suggestions, questions. You can do so, of course, at 650-650. That's the Dunbar Lumber text line. Canucks Talk, of course, is brought to you by JanPro, the leader in commercial cleaning. Keep your workplace safe during this flu season by trusting JanPro's EnviroShield disinfection service. Visit janpro.ca for more info. And of course, this final segment, and this entire hour, in fact, is brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Our loyal sponsor, be a champion on the worksite with Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Find them together online at dleamc.com. All right. We got a great text in from Derek in Kelowna. Derek and Kelowna, thank you for listening. And thank you for texting in an irresistibly weird game for me to play in this final segment. I, I, I Honestly, I might build the whole segment around it. And it's got an audience participation angle, which I love. So Derek and Kelowna, absolutely killing it for me. He says, discussion idea topic for you. And a good one at that. Have listeners text in who they think their top five MVPs on the Canucks season to date are Ranked in order. So one through five. 
Tends to be the same Fab Five, but all over the place as to who you think should be ranked one, two, three. Just a thought for your third segment. Derek, I love it. I love it. So I'm going to start. I'm going to give you my top five. And then I want to hear yours. One through five. Who are Vancouver's MVPs through the first 32 games of the year? All right. So text in 650-650. That's the Dunbar Lumber text line. One through five. Rank them in order. Your Canucks MVPs to this point in the season. So before I get into my list, I'm going to give you some data, some quantitative data from a couple of the most respected all-in-one metrics. Now, I'm pretty dubious about all-in-one metrics, generally speaking. I think they have to be weighted in context. The best all-in-one metrics do their best to parcel out who's responsible for what, but there's always going to be some noise when you have huge gaps in usage, right? If you're Ilya Mikheyev and you play every shift with Elias Pettersson five-on-five, I just don't think there's a model that can make sense of that versus someone like Garland who plays with Bluger and Dakota Joshua. Like the gap there is so big that I think it really models are always going to struggle to parcel that out. Um, so if we use Dom LeCision's net rating model as an example, he would order it as follows. Number five, Brock Besser. Number four, Philip Hironik. Number three, JT Miller. Number two, Elias Pettersson. And number one, Quinn Hughes. That's net ratings top five based on who's been the most valuable from a net rating, uh, effectively a wins above replacement metric. That would be Dom's model's answer. If we use GAR or GAR, which is goals above replacement, a metric you can find at evolvinghockey.com behind a paywall, they have the following top five as their MVPs. Number five, Connor Garland. Number four, Ilya Mikheyev. Number three, Philip Hironik. Number two, Quinn Hughes. Number one, Elias Pettersson. So their list would omit one of the NHL's leading goal scorers in Brock Besser and the guy who's second in the NHL in points in JT Miller because they'd look at the defensive results on the Miller-Besser line and ding them for it, right? They'd effectively have at least some negatives in their profile um, where they're below goals above replacement as a result of their contributions defensively. So that's sort of an interesting one here to keep in mind is, you know, uh, depending on how you slice it, how you how you want to King Solomon this particular baby, you might get a different outcome. I'm going to do my top five now. And then I'm very curious to see what we're getting in to the inbox. So number five, right. I guess the other thing to note about those all-in-one metrics is they exclude goaltending, right? That's, that's a pretty big one here. For me, I'm going to, so my top five, I'm going to start at the top so that I, that, that I don't lose the order. I feel like if I go backwards, I'm going to get it wrong. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm going to go in reverse order. I'm going to start with Connor Garland. Connor Garland would be my fifth, and here's why. At the end of the day, Vancouver's bottom six is one of the major, like, Vancouver's forward depth is one of the major strengths of this team. And there just aren't a lot of players on this team that I, I think can be real line drivers. Like, there's three guys, the two centermen at the top of the lineup and Garland. Uh, I just don't know that if you threw Mikheyev onto the third line, you'd be getting anything like what the Canucks are getting out of their third line. I I'm very confident that you wouldn't be out of Besser or um, Kuzmenko. 
Like, I, I don't think if you put Lafferty with Dakota Joshua and Teddy Bluger that they'd be dragging this team into the fight or manufacturing key offense in games where the team doesn't have their fastball the way that this line is with Garland in it. Um, if you're driving a line like this at five on five, if you're driving a, a bottom six line with a pair of guys who've mostly been fourth liners for, for to this point in their career, and you're outscoring the opposition 18 to 10 with unfavorable bounces like this, this line's been unlucky and they're plus eight in Garland's minutes. I mean, honestly, this guy's like a one man wrecking crew that's providing Vancouver with a territorial edge in their bottom six, unlike anything this team has had. If you think about what this team's biggest problems have been over the years, right? One of them, certainly last year, was that every time Quinn Hughes took a breather, you were giving anything that Quinn Hughes accomplished back and more to your opposition. You were getting outscored by such a massive rate whenever Patterson or Hughes took a breather that you couldn't keep your head above water. Garland instead has turned, as a driver on that line, um, instead of getting outscored when those guys take a breather, you're outscoring the opposition. Now those guys are really running downhill, wind at their back. Whatever whatever classic phrase that I use all the time you want to use, that's what Garland's accomplished, and I think he's individually responsible for it. So for me, given the, given the importance of this team's um, bottom six contributions, given, given how crucial depth has been, for this team and, and the success that they've had, I'd put Connor Garland five. So number four, I'm going to go JT Miller. JT Miller's work on the power play, especially in the early part of the year, has been tremendous. Obviously, we know what's happening in terms of his scoring, in terms of his production. I, I'm still a little bit skeptical. Like the reason that he'd rank a little bit lower um, and, and that Brock Besser doesn't appear on my list, like him and Besser are both converting 20 plus percent of shots. And that line has been Vancouver's most fortunate from a from a five on five perspective, PDO wise. Uh, I do think that there have been some gaps in in terms of their form that haven't shown up on the scoreboard. In fact, and that sort of is important to me. Like I want to see if you're in a matchup role, I want to see you win that matchup more often than not. And and it's sort of been inconsistent. Some nights they're great. Some nights the two way games a little bit more iffy. Um, too many nights we've seen that line get chased from the primary matchup. So given those sort of gaps, uh, and again, we're splitting hairs. Like Miller's been phenomenal, phenomenal all year. I think he's one of the best human beings at, at playing the power play on the planet. Not not in this locker room, on the planet. Like I, I think we're seeing a totally different version of Miller than we've seen in the past in a good way, in a good way. So, but we're talking about you know, a, a a bunch of guys who are going to be major contenders for NHL awards in the top three, and I put Miller behind those guys. That's that's just where I'm at, uh, based off of underlying five on five form and defensive impact. Uh, I'd I'd sort of slot Miller in at four. Patterson for me would be three. Now, in the first 26 games of the year, I'd probably have had him at second, but we have seen the production slide a bit. Uh, the five on five numbers are good. They're not great they're not at the level that Pedersen has often been I still think this is the mo team's most important five-on-five -five driver but he hasn't been nearly as consistent driving play five-on-five -five as Connor Garland has for example albeit against somewhat stiffer competition um you know the chemistry with Kuzmenko like losing that Kuzmenko Pedersen Mikheyev thing that this team had going on 
Uh, I do think has taken some of the ceiling out of their top line production five on five out of their ability to sort of go out and single-handedly win games. Um, He's been good, but not great. And I don't think he's as important at this point to the power play, despite the gravity that his shot creates. Like, I, I honestly think Miller's more important five on four now than, than Pedersen is at this point in their in their respective careers. I, n- I never thought I would have said that. Like, two years ago, if you'd said that to me, I would have actually scoffed at you. And now I think it's it's pretty hard to deny. Still great, don't get me wrong. Like, it, it, crucial. Um, Pedersen's still the guy I think can get into, like, the Hart Trophy conversation among the players on this roster, but the production's going to need to return, and I, I do think he needs more help. Like, I think we're at a point where if you want Pedersen to accomplish what he can accomplish, what he accomplished last year. Like I, I do think he needs another top pair caliber or a top line caliber line mate, or at least a guy who's producing like a top line caliber line mate, the way Kuzmenko did last season. If you're going to get the absolute apex form out of him, Canucks got that for the first 16 games. They haven't really in the last 16 games, although he's remained highly effective. So I'd put him third Thatcher Demko number two. I mean, this guy's running away with the Vesna. He was just the NHL second star. That'll that'll be a further quiver um, or arrow in his quiver. Excuse me. He actually had a month where he was trending below expectations, but to bounce back the way he has uh, over the course of the past week, I think is enormously impressive. And and look, this is where we're at with Demko, right? This is a guy who's like a career nine twelve save percentage goaltender who's having his best career season ever for the Vancouver Canucks at the moment, right? I mean, he's been a well above average starter. He's playing a heavy load for this team, right? He's played 23, started 23 of their 32 games to this point in the campaign, 921 save percentage uh, up from 916 at the start of the week. That's that's how dominant Demko was uh, this week as the Canucks got hot once again. Demko's beginning to answer the question that we had going into the season right and and it's a vital question right like as good as Demko's been as dominant as like we've seen him do it in the playoffs we've seen him steal games and and push an elite team to the brink in the playoffs we've seen him be exceptional for months on end we saw him crush it during the Boudreaux bump right like we we saw him dominate toward the end of last season as well but we've seen it in stretches we've seen it in glimpses we've seen Demko be a hyper efficient hyper-dominant sniper, or sorry, sprinter, excuse me. What we hadn't seen is Demko manage the marathon race that is being a workhorse starter in the NHL, stay healthy throughout, produce above-average results throughout, and then be ready to be at your best come playoff time. Like, that's the thing we still haven't seen from Demko. The fact that he had a mini-skid, right? It wasn't even noticeable because he looked good. (laughs) Uh, Rick Tockett blamed the team's defense in front of him, but most of the public models and even the private ones had him below expected uh, save percentage from, from, for a month long stretch from November 11th through December 11th that he went through that. It, it was under the radar and before it was even really noticed or became a talking point, he put in one of his best weeks of the year was named NHL's second star, helped this team, um, you know, pick up points in four straight. To me, that's a sign, or at least a partial answer, to the to the one remaining box that Demko hadn't checked in his NHL career. It's like, this guy is now trending to do so, to, to maintain that form, to, to have that lull, but then bounce back and be the guy you can depend on three times a week, all season long, on a playoff team. Um, there's a lot of road to run here, right? 
the the health part remains like goalies in an incredibly demanding position. Uh, there's a lot of traffic in front. A lot can happen, but I I think he's put in already, and it's just two and a half months. So we're we're still in sort of you know if, if he fell off at this point, it would still be like hey, well, we saw him sprint for two and a half months, but so like we're not out of the woods yet to quote Taylor Swift, but we're on our way. We're on our way. I think Demko's been phenomenal this season. I think he's the Vesna front runner by a lot. And I think he deserves second spot. Number one would be Quinn Hughes. I don't think there's any question. I mean, I think this guy's going to score 20 goals this year. I think he's crucial, especially through the neutral zone on the power play. Um, I think we've seen him will this team to victory some nights. Like that Anaheim game stands out to me where he just got sick of, of the game being tied. Uh, and, and person went out and manufactured the key go-ahead goal. Uh, I, I think we're seeing him assert himself as a leader in a different way. I think we're seeing him handle the media in a different way. I, I think we're seeing a more serious version of Quinn Hughes um, in, in, in every respect. And he's leveled up to a to a point where, you know, again, I, I mean, we talked about it with Sean Gentile in the second segment. Like, if you told me that Hughes was going to be a Norris-level defenseman, I've said yes. If you told me that Quinn Hughes was going to be one of the best defensemen in the league, uh, top three, no one's even going to dispute it, I would have said yes, I bought that 100%. If you told me that Quinn Hughes was going to be doing stuff unseen since Bobby Orr, that he was going to be on pace for 20 goals, that he was going to have put in a ton of work in the offseason uh, on figuring out new ways to use his shot to be a shooting threat, if you were to tell me that that was going to open up even more stuff, if you were to tell me that you put him with a puck-moving partner and, and he's unleashed in a totally different way, uh, that that you know his usual gravity-altering game, uh, the ability to make sure that every time he's on the ice, the, the play is spent with him in the offensive end, if you were told, told me that you know he was going to get a partner that was going to amplify that to this level, you know, I, I, that I might have been like, well, that sounds like a dream scenario. But what we're getting from Quinn Hughes is basically Canucks fan fanfic. Like this guy is, this guy is at an outrageous level and he's been at an outrageous level all season. I mean, we're talking about a guy who has been one of the five best skaters in the league all season. No question about it. Uh, for me, he'd be number one. So that's my list. Are we in the clear yet? Are we in the clear yet? Are we in the clear yet? In the clear yet, Dom. No, you know what the problem, th that song, people like pick it at karaoke thinking they want to sing it, but the fact is, is that it repeats too much. Like that song is a good reminder that Taylor Swift's an athlete, man. Taylor Swift's a straight up, live performers are straight up athletes and you don't know it till you pick the song at karaoke and you're out of breath and you're like, wow, I have to repeat that chorus again, huh? Whew. What's your go-to? What What do you mean? Your oh, go-to song. I like to do In the End by Linkin Park. Okay. And I like to do both the rap and the singing bits by myself. It's wow. sort of a stunt. Uh, my, my backup song is Zombie by the Cranberries. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Ireland's I rugby song. I love that. Uh, yeah. Classic. And if you're ever in a pinch and need to do karaoke and like need to prove yourself and you just want a song that's like not too difficult... You know what I mean? That everyone will sing along to and sort of cover you because you can't actually sing. I highly recommend Truly Madly Deeply. Oh, yeah. Savage Garden. Savage Garden. Hell, yeah. Dude, everyone likes it. Everyone knows it. Yes. Everyone will sing along. No one's ever unhappy about it. I thought you were going to say Iris by the Goo Goo Dolls. No. Too That's slow. a good one. And no, you know what? Any of those, like, that era of song is yeah. a good one. 
I also strongly recommend Dragula by Rob Zombie. Really? Yeah, really good. That's the, that. Anyway, without, we're, I didn't mean to do my list of top five karaoke MVPs. No, I asked you. I asked you. All right, let's get to the let's get to the inbox. Number one, we have a suggestion from an unsigned texter that number one should be Talk It. Uh, you know what? I'm here for it. Talk It's had a, an enormous impact. I've been really, really impressed, and uh, I suspect Jack Adams voters have been too, and we'll see that at year's end. Um, Unsigned, someone says, Hughes 1, Miller 2, Demko 3, PD 4, Besser 5, with an honorable mention going to Garland and Casey DeSmith. Liam in Calgary suggests that Besser should be 5, PD 4, JT Miller 3, Quinn Hughes 2, and Demko 1. I can see the argument for that. Sudeep from Burnaby suggests Garland, Besser, Pedersen, Miller, Hughes. I like that list. We've got a lot of lists with Pedersen and fifth. I struggle with that one. I disagree with you, but EP Brock Miller Hughes Demko suggests someone else. Tiara from Courtney says the Demko absolutely has to be on your top five. So mine goes like this. Quinn Hughes, number one, two Demko, three Miller, four Demko again, <laughs> and five Brock Besser because that's how it works. So We've got some really good submissions here for Canucks MVP. A lot of love for the coaching staff. Someone suggests Foot and Gonchar in the top five. The Vancouver market loves its assistant coaches, by the way. Remember the Brad Shaw era? <laughs> Come on. I love the uh, I love the way that Canucks fans glom on to the work of their assistant coaches. Noah from Langley has Carson Soucy five, Casey DeSmith four, Tyler Myers three, Andre Kuzmenko two, and Anthony Beauvillier one. That's the that's the cardio power rankings, perhaps. I love that list from Noah from Langley. Um, so some really good submissions uh, in from everybody here. I I really appreciate all of the submissions, all of the work. Top five MVP. Think about it. It's an interesting one. When Jamie's back and healthy and good to go, we will ask him for his top five. Hopefully he didn't listen to this podcast so that uh, so that he won't know and comes in blind, and then I can make fun of his submissions. Unlike your submissions, which were all excellent, because you guys rock. Thank you so much for helping me get through this solo show on one, one week before the holidays. It's going to be a fun week. We'll be in the mornings once again Thursday, Friday. Thanks for sticking with us. You've been listening to Canucks Talk on Sportsnet 6.30.